Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, we've been doing this series on the book of Acts. It's not the greatest way to start a sermon, I suppose, but uh, I guess that no, no doubt, because I should have some sort of great story, but I don't. Except to say, this part that we've read and had read to us so beautifully this morning just continues the story of what happened when the, following the planning of the church in Jerusalem and the spread of the gospel, which just took off, um, just took off like a bushfire. Uh, I always smile a bit to myself when I hear the reports of wildfires in the States. We, we do bushfires, don't we? Yes, in Australia, bushfires. And the early church took off like a bushfire, just seemingly out of control. And, I, and this chapter, chapter 14, is a continuation of what happened once the church was planted at Antioch and the commissioning of Paul and Barnabas to go and preach to the Gentiles took place. And from there on, it's pretty much about Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Silas and, and what they do is they just go everywhere preaching the good news of Jesus. I want to remind us right at the beginning, it's always good to go back to the source of things, yes, to the original thing. And when I was in college, one of my lecturers gave me a particular assignment to do in uh, Reformation church history. And, I, and he, was a, he was a great lecturer and very encouraging man. And he, used to, he came to me one day when I was doing something about Luther and pastoral care, and he said, you've got to go back to the source. So remember when you're reading the book of Acts that the very first words begin with Luke telling, of, this is the second account or the second part of the story, Theopolis. He was writing to somebody. He was like giving them a big letter about how the church began and expanded. Have you got that? And so it's really good because sometimes we can dive in and we get a message out of it, which is fine. That's, a, that's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But if we, we keep putting the full context in place, that's a very helpful thing to do. So here we are in Acts 14. The church is taking off. It's growing like wildfire. It's growing like a bushfire. It, it is just an amazing thing that's happening. And so the story continues. Now, no doubt at some point in your life, you've been on a journey or you've planned a journey or some sort of holiday thing. Well, this next bit of the story is a little bit like that, although it's a bit different. It's a missionary journey. And I can assure you that for Paul and Barnabas, they weren't on holidays. Because what they now do and what they encounter and what they are involved in is quite amazing. So we pick the story up. They've uh, had to leave one place and now they've journeyed onto Iconium. And there'll be a bit of a map come up there. I know for some of you up the back, it might be a little bit difficult to read. And if you've got a paper copy of your Bible, it's, you've probably got a map in the back where you can get maps on your phone. There's, there's basically three missionary journeys that the Apostle Paul did. And if you can see that map, it's a kind of purpley line there on that one. This is the first journey that we're talking about where he starts in Antioch and they go into all those places of what was then known as Asia Minor, modern Turkey region, all through these various places. You read in the Bible, 
Philippi, Thessalonica, etc., etc. There are the three missionary trips. They call the three missionary trips by the theologians and church historians. So that gives you a bit of an idea of, of, of it. One of the things about that, by the way, is that it roots it in history. It grounds it in history. This is not somebody just writing a story out of their minds, out of their make-up kind of thing. Um, more correctly, I suppose, we could talk this, about this as being a historical narrative, a historical story, but it is such an exciting one nonetheless. And Paul and Barnabas go to this place called Iconium. And uh, they do what they normally do. And one of the things I want to say out of us, for us today as a church here at Lobethal, it is really good for us, for Hills Baptist right across the board, for any church really, to have a missionary strategy. When I was involved in leading churches over my time in pastoral ministry, and I learned a lot as I grew as a pastor, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, I learned that one of the things that was missing in the early days was we never talked about vision and we never talked about strategy. I don't know why. It was kind of, that was for the world and we just did our thing. But I learned over time that you, you need to have a picture of what you're doing, a vision if you like. Let's not get too hooked up in where that vision comes from. It comes from God, yes. But a vision and, and then some strategy and tactics to know how you're going to go about it. When I was involved in leading Tasmanian Baptist, I'd often find churches that wanted to do everything in the world and they didn't have the people or the personnel to do so. And they really struggled. Rather than focusing on the one thing that we do and do that one thing really well. Now, Paul and Barnabas had a missionary strategy. They wanted to tell people about Jesus. Paul knew that he'd been commissioned to go to the Gentiles, but he first went to his countrymen, the Jews. He preached the Bible to them. He preached Jesus to them. So what he did was took the Old Testament part of the Bibles that you and I have, and out of that he, he reasoned with Jewish people that Jesus was actually the Messiah. And from that point then on, he, uh, he began to call them to repent of their ways and put their faith in Jesus. If the Jews didn't listen to him, he then went to the Gentiles and he explained to them that God had sent a saviour into the world. That was their strategy. And basically, he preached to those who would listen. If people wouldn't listen, he moved on. Now, that's really important at a personal level to get. Sometimes we hammer away at people trying to convince them to become Christians and they don't want to. Sometimes we have to leave the word that we've planted with them and let God do the rest. Yes? Yes? Because sometimes we beat ourselves up and say, well, I should have told, I should have told Jill about such and such. And maybe if I'd said to Bill, look, there's a bit more. Bill would have got it. The thing is the Holy Spirit is working in the life of the person and the word that you've planted, the seed that you've sown, God in his own good time will bring to fruition. So Paul and Barnabas, is that helpful? So Paul and Barnabas' strategy is to, is to go to the Jews because they should have known God, yeah? They had the scriptures. They knew all about it. If they didn't want to listen, he went to the Gentiles. He explained to them what was going on. If they didn't want to listen, then they moved on. That's really quite important for us to get, I think. 
Work with the people that have ears to hear. Jesus said it over and over again. If you've got ears to hear, listen, if you like, in that sense, mixing up those metaphors. And it seems that it's, it's, if they, there is not a hearing and turning to the gospel, you simply moved on. Some people don't want to hear. That is disappointing. Yet leave that to God, my friends. We are, we are called to be faithful. Say, we are called to be faithful. Very good. We'll try again. We are called to be faithful. Now, the second thing that I noticed out of this is that Paul and Barnabas were not afraid to stir up a good discussion. So they got involved in what's called persuasive preaching. And the word here that's actually used about their preaching means they were very talkative. They talked and they talked and they talked the gospel to the people in Iconium. The talk was about the truth of the gospel. So then let's think a little bit about the nature of the then world and we'll come back to the nature of our world and introduce a word that I, that I had introduced to me by a really good friend of mine who was my first supervising pastor. He's now gone to be with Jesus a number of years ago. He was a brilliant man. And one of the first things he started talking to me about when I first started training for ministry way back in the day was he gave me a word called syncretism. Have you heard of that word, syncretism? Anybody want to say syncretism? Now, what it means is that, and as he explained it to me, in that early, early time in the church, people were, were quite happy to hear about Jesus, but they wanted to add it to what they already believed. Does that sound familiar? You meet that all the time in today's world. You syncretize things together. So you can have a bit of Jesus, you can have a bit of Judaism, you can have a bit of the mystery religions, you can have a bit of the pagan religions, put them all together, it doesn't really matter. But Paul and Barnabas came with a very different view and what they were saying was there is only one way to God. You can only come to, to God through Jesus Christ as Rachel reminded the kids this morning. Kids, adults listen more to the kids' stories than the adult preaching, mate, by the way. Um, that's why it is we've got our ears tuned and the kids heard didn't they how can you get rid of your sin there's only one way Jesus so can you imagine Paul and Barnabas going into this world that, that had everything conflated together and all kind of mixed up and said hang on strip all that away there is only the one way the one way is through Jesus here is the word for us today people it's got to be the same we live in a world that says, you can, do, you can have everything, doesn't matter. Don't upset me. The postmodern world says, what you believe is fine. This is what I believe. I respect your views, they're great. But don't ask me to believe that there is an absolute truth in here because that's offensive. So we have to work that through, church. Because at the end of the day, he's either Jesus, he either died on that cross and was buried and rose again, or he didn't. And if he did, and if the grace of God is still held out in open arms to an unbelieving world, then we've got to press in with that. The thing is, when people get it, they get freed. They get liberated. And that's what we want to see happen. So Paul and Barnabas wanted to persuade this group. 
What next happened was rather amazing. There's a thing called signs and wonders. They preached the gospel and then miracles began to happen. So people began to be healed. People were set free from demonic bondages. All kinds of things happened. Magic stuff got thrown away. All kinds of things happened and signs and wonders. In other words, a demonstration of the power of God came down into Iconium. Now that's quite an amazing thing. I would really want to encourage us as a church here at Hills Lobethal, right across the board actually, to be open to signs and wonders. God did not close it all down when the Bible finished. Some of you may have been taught that years ago, that when, when the Bible kind of got all finished up, all that disappeared and we just have the word. No, no, no. We have signs and wonders. We have the word. It's really important. The thing is, God has not changed. And I, I want to say it again. We should expect God to do things. Actually, the greatest miracle of all is when somebody turns to Jesus, yeah? When they're born again. What an incredible miracle that is. That somebody comes from a, a darkened, sin-filled life or a troubled life or they, 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 uh, alcohol's knocked them out or drugs have knocked them out or they can't control their gambling. That's only those things. That, they're the bad ones that we talk about. But there's lots and lots that don't even pass muster with us that wreck people's lives. And when somebody turns to Jesus and they're healed, it's an incredible miracle. After they've been to all the counsellors and all the people who fix people up and they're still not fixed and then one day they bow to Jesus and life has totally changed for them. How good is that? But God does signs and miracles and wonders and over the time of ministry that I've had the privilege to be involved in, in a number of places in this world, I've seen it happen. Now here's the thing. Once all this takes place, there's disbelief and division. So the gospel is a dividing gospel. Now we don't always want to hear that. We don't always want to wrestle with it because we actually have the good news. I used to say to one of my congregations in, in Tasmania that we, we have a real bit of a real struggle in our world because we are known to be the people who are against everything. Yeah? So live with me for a moment or two as I go through this. We say no to abortion. We say no to euthanasia. We say no to same-sex marriage. We say no to a whole lot of things. Incidentally, tap into that series that Dave's doing on Reclaiming the Rainbow. We say no, not because we want to be down on people and we most certainly do not want to be judgmental. But what we are saying is there is truth, yes? And we stick to the truth. So as I, I for those of you here last week, I talked a little bit about... How, how that's a wrestle for us. Because we don't say no because we hate people. We just say this is not how God wants us to live. It's not easy, is it? And most of us would probably have wrestled with that somewhere in our lives, even with people who are close to us, who are really close to us. But we do know that the truth sets us free, so the gospel actually divides. And back in, in uh, Iconium, it did divide. And it got some people who had a vested interest in their religion into such a state of frenzy that they were going to kill Paul and Barnabas. I don't know whether you've ever been on the receiving end of that kind of vitriol from people who, who didn't like you because you stood for something. 
do you capitulate? Do you fall over? Do you just say, oh, well, or do you stand up for your truth? Because the truth in God, in Jesus. There's some real challenges in there. It doesn't look like much of a challenge when you go through the passage, does it? But when you start burrowing in a little bit, you realise what's taking place. So there was this disbelief and division. See, Paul and Barnabas preached fact, not fiction. And people believe or they don't. You are a believer or you're not a believer. There's only two classes of people in the world. You're either a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ or you don't. So sometimes there's a refusal of the truth of Scripture. Where do you start with people? You start with what they already know. So when Paul, and we'll see it later in Acts, when Paul preaches to the Jews, he goes to the Scriptures, he takes the Bible, he argues Jesus is Messiah from the Scriptures. When he goes to the Gentiles, he says, you know what? All the time you've been looking around at creation and you can see somebody put all this together. By the way, I want to tell you who he is. He's your God, he's your Father, and he's always loved you. So for people who are way behind the so-called eight ball of the Scriptures, don't even own a Bible, where do you start? That's the same for us when we get into our missionary strategy, if you like, or sharing our faith with people. We've got to start where they live. That's part of the beauty of a course like Alpha, is that people can explore together. What, what, what's this actually all about? You've got to start where people are, not where you think they should be. And so Paul and Barnabas did that. But it brought division. And I want to tell you, fence sitting is a dangerous occupation. So is standing in the middle of the road. You'll get hit with the traffic both ways. So out of all of that, the next thing comes is persecution. There's stoning, and that's pretty serious. So here's another really interesting thing. Sometimes people wrestle with, what would I do if I was persecuted for the faith in such a way that my life was in danger? What would I do? And we sometimes get into all these hypothetical things about, how would I handle that? How would, how would I live with, with somebody torturing me or persecuting me or whatever? I find it really interesting. Paul and Barnabas said, we're out of here. How about that? We're out of here. We're not going to hang around here. We're not going to be stoned to death. Why? Because I think they believed it's much more important for them to keep moving on, to preach where people will listen, and to keep moving on so people hear the, heard the gospel. Yeah? This is a really interesting point. Yes, there are some times we are called to stay where we are. There are other times we're called to get out of there. The apostles uh, moved on. But here's the thing. When they did, this is the one thing they did not stop doing. Sometimes when we get a bit beat up with people who don't like us, don't like our message, we feel discouraged, we think, what's the point? I've been trying to share the gospel all these years or these months or weeks. I don't get anywhere. Life's tough at work. People, people will say things to me at work they shouldn't say. They don't like the fact that I'm a Christian, blah, blah. The one thing that Paul and Barnabas did was to keep on preaching the gospel. Did you hear that? They didn't give up on the preaching of the gospel. Okay, next thing. They go to a place called Lystra and Derby. It's in verses 8 to 19. And they, the first thing they encounter there is a man who was born a cripple. In, the account tells us that the man 
from his mother's womb has never walked. He's crippled in his feet. Now, I checked the Greek on that, and never means never. He'd never walked. So let's let that rest for a moment. I cannot begin to imagine what this, what this would have been like. I cannot begin. No wheelchairs, folks. Probably some rudimentary old crutches and probably the help of a few good old friends who had cart him out into the marketplace and people would throw him scraps of money or a bit of bread or a bit of leftover tucker or whatever. Can you imagine the kind of world this person was actually living in? For me, it's really hard to get my mind around it. Probably the most humiliating thing for me was last year, around about this time, about 12 months ago, I broke my leg. Doing a good thing in church, I was. I went for a bush work walk with some mates from Gawler Baptist after church. We were about uh, 500 metres away from the cars. I was walking down a hill. I fell on my backside. There's another name for that. My rump. They, they hauled me to my feet. I walked out of there to discover a day or so later I had a broken leg. For the first time in my life, I had to be dependent on other people, particularly Heather. It was really humiliating. And the best part is being pushed in a wheelchair. Anybody been there? Nobody else but me has ever had a broken... Oh, Simon, good on you, mate. It's just this whole thing of being dependent on other people. At the same time, one of my sons was getting married in Cairns and we had to go, for, go to the wedding. We had to go get pushed through the airport. It was all right. I mean, there were some, some nice people pushing you through the airport, but it feels strange. So can you imagine, here's this man who has never, ever walked. Never, ever walked. Think of how human beings get to walk. When's the first big fuss moment for those of you who have had children? I know you don't have to have children to even have the fuss moment with the nieces or nephews. It's when they take the first steps and we go all goo-ga. You know, have you ever noticed how adult uh, people go go goo-ga over kids? No? Woo, he's taking his first step. Woo, woo. He said his first word. We had one son, his first word was to take the spoon from his mother's hand and said, I'll do it. I'll feed myself. We make all these goo-goo noises about what comes out of their back end and comes out of their front end. Human beings are really weird. And can you imagine this? Here's this little, little, little child's never walked. And can you imagine the pain in the parent that longing for this child to take steps and it was obviously something wasn't right. Now Paul sees this man and this man is listening. Here's a clue. He's listening. There's listening and there is listening. And Paul sees something in his heart, in this fellow's heart, and it's called faith. And he shouts out to him, and this is rather, seems a bit barbaric, especially if we did it in church, or my, I'm a, I do stand guilty. He sees the man's got faith and he says, stand up and walk. And the guy does. Mm-hmm. 
No wonder they caused division. And it says he stood up and he walked. He just didn't toddle along taking a baby step. He's now a fully fledged human being. He's got all his dignity back. There's no dignity in being handed things. It's, it's, it's more blessed to give, to give than receive. Yeah? Or most of us, we kind of, we don't want to have stuff given to us. We want to give away. And here's this guy who's now walking. He's got his dignity back. He can go to work on Monday. He can go and explore places. It is just, I could go on and on. You get the drift. The man had faith. He was listening and hope is born right there. So here's the thing. Facts build faith, right? The facts of the gospel and the preaching about Jesus built faith into the life of this man and he heard. And just maybe in our culture, and I get a bit passionate about this and I'm sorry, I apologise in advance, but just maybe in our culture, people will get sick of what is being presented to them as life. Maybe, 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 maybe people will get sick of what's being presented to them as life. Being crippled wasn't life for this fellow. The good news has got to be preached and and maybe people will begin to hear that there's a better life than all that's being offered and touted and paraded as the way we do life. What Paul does is quite extraordinary. He knew there was faith in this man to be healed and he called it out. And I've seen that sort of thing happen in mass meetings and in other places and individually. Sometimes we call out stuff in people. Don't be afraid to do that, church. If you're meeting with somebody or ministering to somebody or sitting down chatting with them and you see that something's going on in their heart, don't be afraid to call it out and say, you know, you need to step over the line. Sometimes we need a nudge, yeah? Sometimes somebody needs to get hold of us and say, you know what, Bill, you've been sitting on the fence for a long time. It's time you gave your life to Jesus. Did you know, did you know that most people don't come to church or are involved in church because they've never been asked? The stats that come out of the States and other places, the States particularly I'm thinking of, like by the name of Tom Rayner, is saying that 60% of people never come to church because nobody ever asked them to do that. That means the church doesn't get out of its comfort zone to go and ask people, do you come to church on Sunday? You know, they might be surprised. They might be surprised. They might be really, really surprised. And they might be really, really surprised that you love them enough to say, you know, I've found Jesus and he's the way and he's the truth and he's the life of the Father. And you know what? It's good being a Christian. Oh yeah, it's not all, all easy as Rachel pointed out. We have our moments. But it's good being a Christian. I would never want to go back to what I was. If you think I'm bad now, you should have seen me one, once upon a time. I don't know, it sounds like a joke, but man alive. Man alive. I would never want to go back to what I was. This is a good life. But you know, the best is yet to come. And I've often reminded congregations, don't read the scoreboard at half time. 
might be halfway through, but the best is yet to come. Well, for Paul and Barnabas, this spectacular healing led them into having to deal with something that most of us probably don't have to worry about too much, but suddenly the place turned into this kind of idolatrous situation. They got some opposition, yes, but, but the, the locals wanted to turn them into sort of superheroes I wanted to worship them and Paul and Barnabas say, no, 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 no. We are just men like you. We are just people like you. We've got flesh and blood, right? And even when they, uh, they, uh, they tried to get all that, they still, they still didn't hear it. And the result was persecution and stoning. But in the process, Paul reminds people of something that we can use in our missional strategy. He reminds them that God has always been, God has always loved the world, God created the world, he made the heavens and the earth and everything in it, and what's more, he's filled your hearts with joy. Now you talk to a farmer who's been through a long dry spell and he gets a great deluge of rain. Are they happy? Some people say farmers are never happy, but they can be sometimes and after a really soaking rain and they get their tractors out and start stirring up that old dry dirt and they know there's a crop coming, they get filled with joy. Who did that? God. So Paul reminds people that God actually is a source of joy for all of creation, even for people who don't believe in Jesus. There's something that we can use as well. But when there was persecution and dear old Paul was stoned, and it's a bit of an intimation here, isn't there, that Something was, was he dead or he wasn't going too well? They got around him, they probably prayed for him, he jumps up and he goes and he leaves. And then they go to Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch. There's a bit of a journey here. But the thing is, the preaching continues. At Derby, there's preaching, there's evangelism, people being one to Jesus. They called disciples there, by the way, not converts. Did you hear that? They called disciples there, not converts converts. Very interesting, isn't it? So the journey continues, and on the journey, people's faith is strengthened. There's the sharing of the gospel. There's the consolidation of churches, the strengthening of churches. There's the appointing of elders, which is really interesting. So even as the church begins in that rudimentary fashion, there's some form of governance. There's some form of leadership. I had a friend in Tasmania who used to say, even a jellyfish has a backbone. There's got to be structure. And Paul and Barnabas knew that. So they wanted to go back, check on the churches where they'd been, they'd, the gospel had been planted. How are people doing? Are they growing in the faith? Uh, is their leadership happening? And then they encouraged them to remain true to the faith. I want to ask you a question. Have you been encouraged in that way? Have you been encouraged somewhere along the line to remain true to your faith? And reciprocal question, reciprocity I suppose, have you encouraged somebody else to remain true to the faith? We need that every now and again, don't we? Not just the Sunday morning thing, but in life as we sit down and talk together, how are you going in your faith? How's your prayer life going? How's your Bible reading going? Good questions. How are you dealing in your relationships with people? So forth and so on. They're good questions. They're gentle questions. But they're good questions to ask as we strengthen people in their faith. 
And then, of course, Paul and Barnabas in the passage that was read to us talk about hardships and difficulties. There are many hardships, many tribulations, Paul says, through and we enter into the kingdom of God. And the word means there internal pressure. There's a lot of pressure. Sometimes that goes with the package. And I, you, your talk again, Rachel, was re- a helpful reminder. That's not always easy, yeah? And then one other thing that happens in that last section of this chapter is that there's an accountability session. They've gone out, they've been sent out from Antioch, They've preached, they've taught at Iconium, Lystra Derby and other places and then they come back and they tell the church how they went. That is a really good thing to do, crucial kind of thing. So, what are you going to walk away with this morning, take with you? Well, firstly, the gospel is good news. The gospel is good news. And the gospel needs to be preached It needs to be taught. It needs to be told. Now, even in the church, I sometimes hear something like, there are so many forms of communication today that we we kind of can dispense with preaching. We can use, you know, visual things. We can do uh, drama. We can do this and that. That's all great. I have no issue with any of that. But... For me, the gospel has to be spoken. Now, why is that? There are so many brilliant forms of communication today. I, I know that. And, and preaching seems to be a bit old-fashioned, a bit irrelevant. And how can somebody preach to people and they sit and listen? Or how do we gather them or, or, or whatever takes place? And I, I know that was the, the major form of communication of the day. And in fact, rhetoric was where... They kind of lived in their world. But our world needs to hear the gospel because the gospel is more than deed. It's the word and deed. It's signs and wonders. It's word and signs and wonders. Don't be sucked in by that misquote of Francis of of Assisi that when something like preach the gospel by all means and if necessary, use words or something like that. He's he's said to have said something like that. Actually, he didn't, probably. He didn't at all. It's questionable. The order here is preaching and the signs and wonders and the good works followed. That's true for our lives, isn't it? Somebody somewhere told you about Jesus whether it was in a formal church setting, a big evangelistic rally, one-on-one, somebody preached the gospel to you. We're not limiting the preaching to just somebody standing in front of a group of people. We're talking about opening our mouths and sharing our word, our testimony, our witness about Jesus and who he was and who he is and what he did. And it's not always easy. So we need to be encouraged to keep on preaching Hills Lobethal Baptist Church. Second thing, it's not always easy. Suffering. Who wants to talk about this in church? Did you come this morning to be told you're going to suffer if you follow Jesus? Well, you might or you might not. Don't go looking for it. Don't be like some people who look for suffering 
Like one guy in a church where I was at who deliberately back in the day used to crank up his radiogram with external speakers. He opened the window of his house and put his speaker in the window in the street and he turned up his Christian music full volume. And then he used to grizzle and he said, oh, they don't like me, they hate me in my street. I wonder why. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, we don't have to go out of our way to draw the ire of people or make them cranky, yeah? But there is a thing where we will suffer. We suffer. That's, it's not okay, but it's okay. Is that making sense? We're not exempt because we follow Jesus. But if we're going to suffer, let's do it for the right reasons. It's a good idea. It's all through the Bible, by the way. God's people will suffer from time to time. But First Peter, and I just go there. I, I know we're just about done here, but I, I do want to read this a little bit to you because I think it's so incredibly important. This is what Peter says. Dear friends, in First Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. And he goes on in that vein to say in verse 19, So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Love it. If you're going to suffer, don't suffer because you're a meddler. How good would that be? <laughs> don't suffer because you get your nose stuck into other people's business. But if you're going to suffer... All right, that's fine, but just give praise to God. Then I want to finish pretty much by saying we need to keep at our mission. We need to keep at the work. Growing weary is not an option for Christians. We keep preaching to a darkened world. Our world is darkened. It's sad, but so was theirs. What hope was there in their world? What hope for that lame man healed at Lystra? What about the diseased? What about the sick? What about the sinful? Is it not true that people come to Jesus when they get sick of themselves? Very often it happens that way. And I was thinking and praying about this message and just sharing the privilege of sharing the word with you all. It occurred to me to say something along these lines. We all come with baggage to the foot of that cross. Did you hear that? We all come with baggage to the foot of that cross. You did. You did. So do I. There's an old saying along the lines of Christians being accused of, of this, that Christianity is a crutch. Christianity is a bit of a crutch for you Christians. And my namesake, John Smith, the God Squad bloke, the bloke that rode the motorbike, who's <laughs> now gone to be with the Jesus he loved, he said, yes, Christianity might be a crutch, but you show me somebody who has not got a limp. 
We come to him with our diseases. We come to him with our sins. Some of us carry years and years of accusations of stuff we've done in the past that hasn't been dealt with yet and we need to let God deal with it. If you don't believe me, let me tell you that I once ministered to a person who was 98 years old and this person had no peace, no peace whatsoever. And saying one day she, this person trusted me enough to hear for me to take in my role as a pastor what she said as, uh, was said as confidential. And something came up that had happened when she was, this person was 16. That's 84 years of carrying the baggage. And it was only at the cross relief came. Our world is darkened. We don't always like what we see, but neither did Paul and Barnabas. But you know what? They were so focused on the good news and the joyful news of Jesus, they didn't stop because they preached the cross. And what a relief when we know that our sins are forgiven and forgotten. Nothing this world offers can top that. No thing, my friends, can top what is offered in the cross. Never stop sharing that message, church. God bless you all. Let's stand as we worship together. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.